I'm John Moe. Coming up on Wits, actor-comedian Keegan-Michael Key of the comedy team Key and Peel adds a renegade cop who plays by his own set of rules. I'm cleaning up the city, Sarge! That's like 50 confessions today. I just grab random people and I just start confessing. Oh, and also he's a Tyrannosaurus Rex. You bite people's heads off, literally. That's a problem. Those heads were already loose, man. It's not my fault. Plus Amazon Review Theater. In addition, they didn't actually hop on pop until about two-thirds of the way through the book. And music from B. Beeman. Hey, baby, you're the equal in my team. Hey, honey, you can take as long as you need. Satisfy me. All on Wits, coming right up. From APM American Public Media, this is Wits. Coming to you from the historic Fitzgerald Theater in downtown St. Paul, I'm your host, John Moe, and I am so excited, you guys. Keegan-Michael Key is on the show this week. So funny, so funny. He's one of the stars of the show Key and Peele on the cable channel Comedy Central. And, you know, I read where the average American now has access to 189 cable channels on average. 189, not to mention the the Netflix and the Hulus and the Amazons and the iTunes and the bleep bloop. I mean, people have so much TV to choose from, and it's great, I guess. But I don't know. Because when I was a kid, we didn't even have cable. We had ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, and then maybe one of those weird independent channels that like only showed Columbo reruns. (laughs) But you know what? It was great. Because as kids, especially, we'd talk on the playground the next day about all the episodes that we all saw last night. And they became folk tales because we knew we'd never see them again. And let me tell you, folklore is a great home for the $6 million man. (laughs) When I was a kid, we only had one channel, and all it was was a duck falling asleep. (laughs) That's it. And then it would be commercials, and then back to the duck on channel only. We'd watch it again, and we'd talk about it every day. Hey, what do you think the duck will do tonight? We'd say, and probably fall asleep. Yeah, that duck. That was a great channel. I love that show. When I was a kid, we didn't have any channels at all for our televisions. Oh, we had televisions. (laughs) My dad made sure we had the first one on the block. It cost $3 million and had no channels or screen. Still... We stared into it every night, and Mom was like, get away from there, it's going to hurt your eyes, and we're all, Mom, it's an empty box, it's fine. (laughs) People who couldn't afford an empty television box would go downtown and stare at nothing through the window of the shop that sold hollow television cabinets. We talk about it the next day. Did you catch the void last night? (laughs) Yeah, it was a great void. Back when I was a kid, we didn't have televisions. We'd, uh, we'd just stop during the day and stare into the middle distance, slack-jawed for hours at a time. <laughs> Next day, we were all, hey, how was your spell of psychological dissociation? It was all great. <laughs> and we'd high-five. <laughs> See, when I was a kid, 
It wasn't like today. There were no TVs or cable channels or other people. We were all part of the subatomic singularity. And the next day there would be no next day because time did not yet exist. And all was nothing and nothing was everything. It was great. (laughs) But cable's pretty good too. We got a great show. Our acting company this week includes Mike Fotis and Christina Baldwin. Our music director, John Munson and the witnesses are right here. We're also joined this week by comedian and actor Keegan-Michael Key. And musician B. Beeman, everybody. He is an actor, writer, performer, known as one of the stars of the hit Comedy Central program, Key and Peele. Also appeared in movies like The Lego Movie, Let's Be Cops, and Horrible Bosses 2. Keegan-Michael Key, welcome back to Wits. Thank you so much, John. We are delighted to have Keegan-Michael Key with us this week, an accomplished actor with a diverse resume. Some parts of that resume do cry out for additional explanation. Thus, it is time for Keegan-Michael Key, Please Explain. Keegan-Michael Key, please explain, please explain. I absolutely will! (laughs) To the best of my ability! (laughs) Let's listen to this clip, and then afterwards, I want you to tell me how how it came about. Take a roll here. Jay Quellen. Where's Jay Quellen at? No Jay Quellen here? Yeah. Uh, do you mean Jacqueline? Okay. So that's how it's gonna be. This is from Key and Peel, the substitute teacher. The substitute sketch. teacher, yes. This is one of the rare pieces that was conceived completely in a vacuum by one of our writers. He just, he wrote the sketch, brought it to the table one day, and we were all like, oh, this, this, this is fun. This seems like it's going to be fun. And it was probably one of the, the sketches that I performed and had the most fun performing because those four kids were terrific in the sketch, you know. This is the tough uh, inner city teacher right. who's substituting at the... Uh, at a kind of a Tony school, suburban, uh, suburban upper class school. Right. Right, so when he sees the names, he sees the name B-L-A-K-E. I mean, come on. That's Balake. Balake. You know? <laughs> what else could it be? A-A-Ron. A-A-Ron. Yeah. D-Nice. <laughs> is that one of the most quoted back to you sketches? It is, yeah. I get a lot of, uh, you done messed up, A-A-Ron! <laughs> and then I drive off the road because people are screaming that <laughs> as they're driving down the freeway. Now, your voice isn't heard on this one, but it's still very relevant. This is the voice of uh, a fellow, another fellow who's on our show, Weird Al Yankovic. I want to You and Jordan Peele, your partner, are in the video for the yes. for this song. Weird Al Yankovic's daughter's best friend is my goddaughter. And it's so, all who you know, it's isn't it? It's all who you know. Weird Al, rabid Mad TV fan. Used to come to Mad TV all the time. And they'd bring the kids, and the kids would hang out. And, and my, 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 my goddaughter did not know what I looked like for the first year that I knew her. Because <laughs> I'd walk into my dressing room in different wardrobe and different. I was a woman, I'm an old wizard, I'm a snake man, the Alibaba, yeah. and the 40 Thieves. I mean, it was, it was crazy. So I, I'm very good friends with Val. And, uh, and he asked if, if Jordan and I wanted to do that video, and we, you know, we scrambled. Yeah, and, and you're the guys in the car 
dubious about him wanting to roll with you. Exactly, yeah. yeah locking your doors to keep Weird Al out of your Just, car. Yes, exactly. Hard gangsters that couldn't deal with We couldn't roll with that. Couldn't roll with that. You're, couldn't you're, roll with that. <laughs> you're hard, but not that hard. Let's take a listen to something from the TV show Reno 911. She did. That goat was harassing me. Excuse really? me. That goat was really? harassing me. One of the goats said to you. One of the goats said to you. He said, hey, man, why you up in this pen? Would you, would you, would you, would you, I know you ain't a cow. I said, no, I didn't say I was a out. cow. The story doesn't check out. The story doesn't check out. <laughs> what does he say? Please describe what you're wearing okay, in this so I'm wearing, I'm wearing a cow suit. A black and white, I, I, whatever those are called, Guernseys. I have on, uh, what's it, Holsteins? Holstein, a Holstein suit and a very prominent udder on my belly. And so right when I said, I'm, you let me in the pen, and I got, and then I'm pointing to the udder, you know, and that was one character we did later on down the line. The character I usually did was, the, was called the hypothetical guy. And All so, right. hypothetical yeah, criminal. and he would walk, he was trying to beat the police at their own game. So he'd walk up to the police and say, now let me just, let me just ask you a question right quick. <laughs> now, hypothetically, let's say I was driving down the street and hit a bump and had to pull over and then check my trunk. And if I was to open the trunk and there was like a severed head in the trunk. <laughs> If I don't report that to the police, is that on me? <laughs> like, on a scale of one to ten, how much trouble would I be in if I didn't report Jeff's head? I mean, uh, a severed head I've never seen before. How much of that show is improvised? It's all improvised. Wow. There's not a written line on the program. They set up the scenarios, and we just go. And we just go and go and go and go and go. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit about Mad TV. Let's take a listen. Okay, you know game. what, Mr. Magooey? Here's the envelope, and you just pushed it, okay? <laughs> That's what you did. I can see you, man. Night goggles, I can see you. Who are we listening to there? That's Coach Hines. Uh, that's Coach Sandoval Hines, uh, who uh, taught at St. Francis Catholic Boys School. A recurring character a on Mad TV. A recurring character on Mad TV. He was an amalgam of four coaches that I had. Uh, one guy wore the bike shorts, you know, those pull the shorts up to your belly, and, um, and then one, another guy had the eyes and the gum chewing. He was a real tough customer. And then the other guy was the coach who had this like, real great soup strainer mustache. So I shoved them all together, put them in a blender, and I did them in a Second City show, and then I brought them to Mad TV and, and said, you know, can we do them here? There's a few characters that you do like that where it just always seems like they're about to snap. But yes. They just haven't quite snapped yet. Yes, they're like a day away. They're just a day. <laughs> they're like a day and a gun license away. They're, they're just almost there. Well, Keegan Michael Key, thank you so much for <laughs> the explanation. Thank you, John Moe. There are many great works of literature in the world, great works of music, cinema, works that have stood the test of time and are considered classics. Not everyone agrees, though. Not everyone feels that the praise received by these works is justified, and from time to time, we gather one-star reviews, the lowest rating possible, of classic works from Amazon.com. This week, we give these reviews to actor Keegan-Michael Key to present as dramatic readings. This is Amazon Review Theater. Moby Dick. Moby Ick. <laughs> the entire story could be summed up in one sentence. A man who needed vast amounts of therapy went fishing and became obsessed with a white whale. <laughs> there is no happy ending. 
This, like so many old-time classics, was written in an age where there was nothing else to read. (laughs) Through sheer boredom, people would read it and encourage others to. Sadly, the tradition continues. The Dark Side of the Moon. I bought CD because man at work say it really good. I think he wrong because songs sound like hippie music or like man who sing the songs too sleepy. My review, gone, though. (laughs) I say, don't waste good-earned money to buy CD. Too hard understanding songs, too. Not good. Heart of darkness. Not at all what I expected. This is not the fault of the author. (laughs) Keegan-Michael Key, everyone. More with Keegan-Michael Key and singer-songwriter B. Beeman in just a moment. This is Wits. I'm John Moe. Wits is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Podcast Network, and one of our sibling shows there is You Must Remember This. It is a show that you really should check out. It's all about the secret stories of Hollywood. In a recent episode, host Karina Longworth explores the life of one of Hollywood's first African-American starlets, Lena Horne. For much of her life, Lena Horne felt burdened by a responsibility to perform the role of model black person which often made her the target of the resentment of other black people. Hired by MGM as a sop to the loud protests of the NAACP, Horn was largely kept out of starring roles by her home studio's cowardice. But the war made Horn a major star. Hear the whole story at infiniteguest.org or search for You Must Remember This on your favorite podcast app. This is Wits. I'm John Moe, here with comedian and actor Keegan-Michael Key and singer-songwriter B. Beeman. 
He is a critically acclaimed singer-songwriter from St. Louis whose voice has been compared to that of Woody Guthrie, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen. His most recent album is Beeman, and if you haven't heard him before, I am so thrilled to present him now. Here is B. Beeman. A man looking for a wife And I said Just wanted a kiss You got yourself an unrealistic wish Looking for a man Who's all that and a bag of chips Well I must have struck a chord or something Cause pretty soon our hearts is thumping She grabbed me by the hips And we like lips I didn't know it But I'd found my future wife She gave my dart its fin And gave my eyes their sight Hey baby, you're the equal in my tea Hey honey, you can take as long as you need To satisfy me Pregnant with my baby and that's for sure And I say, what you gonna do? And she say, hmm <laughs> Well, I don't know, I feel so scared and all alone And I say, girl, you got me and that's for sure I knew right then that I had found my future wife Gave my heart its debt and gave my daughter life. Hey, baby, you're the equal in my tea. Hey, honey, you've been taking your sweet time to satisfy me.
I met a man today, told me the secret to the Mideast peace resolve. You gotta let that man made problem self-evolve. And as for Iraq, there just lines on a map jotted down by some limey wanker for sure. Sharing a low, hearty laugh about the curve. I knew right then this man was quite the bitter fruit. Well, you know B. Beeman is a great singer, but there are other things about him that will shock you. At least we hope so. Otherwise, the following segment known as Shocking Facts will be somewhat hyperbolic. <laughs> B, I'll tell you the fact about yourself. You elaborate upon it. Shocking fact. When you were younger, you wanted to be Richard Pryor. Yes, I did. I mean, I wanted to be a comedian. Richard Pryor was the, my favorite, basically. Um, just an amazing storyteller on top of everything. Like... The way he story tells is, is amazing, but uh, I just was too crappy at it to, to be a good comedian. Uh, I get to stand up here with a guitar and sing, so that's, that's a little bit easier for me to do <laughs> than be funny on the spot. Yeah. Uh, shocking fact, you think Escape, the Pina Colada song, is a really good song. I do. I think it's well written. I think it's catchy. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um... And my other guilty sort of pleasure, not that I listen to it like secretly or anything, but I think it's good, uh, is Margaritaville by Jimmy Buffett. And, and uh, it's, it's just a well-constructed song is how I feel. So really any song about kind of uh, fruity cocktails. Frozen fruity cocktails, yeah. yes. You're down. I'm down. <laughs> okay. Go out there and write a song about daiquiri, folks. Shocking fact, you got kicked out of high school? Yes, private school. And I lied and cheated on a test and was an affront to their sensibilities. Don't applaud that. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> Lying and cheating is amazing. Um... <laughs> no, just kidding. Um... But it's funny. They kicked me out at, uh, my at end of my junior year. I got kicked out and I'm still getting these letters from that school asking for donations like I'm an alum. <laughs> You're not going to get any money from B. Beeman. No, you're um, not. And then, uh, shocking fact, uh, your father broke the strings on your guitar? He threatened to cut my strings with scissors if I didn't go outside and pick weeds. What were you doing instead of picking weeds? Playing Thunderstruck, I'm sure, by ACDC. <laughs> um, 
But I would play guitar way too much, obviously, and uh, my dad would call once. He'd be like, come down, B-Man, come down, and, and, and then I wouldn't hear it. And I'd keep playing, and he'd be like, B-Man, come down, you need to pick the veeds. Uh, and so forth till the fifth time he would lose his mind and threaten to cut my guitar strings. And that horrified me. I probably went down and, that and, finally worked. and pulled those weeds, yeah. <laughs> You talk a lot about the heavy metal music. You love ACDC. I know you listened to a lot of Soundgarden growing up. I don't necessarily hear a lot of that kind of hard metal in what you play. I hear it. Do you? I like a lot of stuff. I like country music, R&B. I like anything with good guitar playing in it. I'm down. Yeah. Um, my teenage years, Soundgarden, Black Sabbath, ACDC. I was heavy into those riffs. I was like playing electric guitar a lot. Um, and then I was in a band, and being in a band is kind of tough, especially when you're not making any money. And you're like, I was like, I could make four times as much money going out by myself. So I started doing that, um, which was zero dollars. Uh, four times zero. Four times nothing. All right. Well, thank you for explaining the shocking facts, B. Beeman. Shocking. Thank you. Sarge, I can't take it anymore. Do you know what we have to use for a squad car? An 18-wheeler. He rides in the back. It's impossible in downtown traffic. He's unorthodox, I grant you that, but he is your partner and you need to adapt. Besides, Rex is making more arrests than anyone else in all of Cop Squadron. Oh, hey, here he comes now. Perp coming through, I got another one. And he confessed to everything, right, dirtbag? Yes, anything, everything. The crime you asked me about and all the other crimes. I'm guilty. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? This guy did all the crimes. Uh, hi, Rex. Yeah, um, that's... I'm cleaning up the city, Sarge! That's like 50 confessions today. I just grab random people and I just start confessing. I will confess to literally anything right now if you put me in a safe jail cell. Rex... That, that, that's Brian. That's Brian. He works at the espresso cart downstairs. He's there all day, every day. There's no way he's out criming. Well, then why did he confess, huh? Why did he confess? Rex. Why did he confess Rex. then? Rex. But why did he confess to all the crimes? Rex. Yeah. Because you're a Tyrannosaurus, Rex. A Tyrannosaurus, Rex. You're 40 feet long. So? Your jaws are three times as powerful as those of a great white shark. Your point B? Rex, you bite people's heads off, literally. That's a problem. Wait, th those heads were already loose, man. It's not my fault. You are one of the most powerful killers in the history of life on Earth. I play by my own set of rules. Enough. <laughs> you two are partners. Oh, hey, guys. Hey, Detective Rex. Hey, can I get you to sign these Sarge, he just ate a fellow officer. How long are you going to let this continue? Come on, Sarge! The guy was a rookie! It was, you know, it was, it was hazing! You know, toughens him up! Oh, with that walnut brain of yours, you don't even realize what you're doing! Look, I know I'm not like other cops. I get that. I mean, logically, I should have died out millions of years ago. And no one knows how I developed human language. But I believe in justice. 
And I believe in myself. Well, Rex, I believe in everyone at Cop Squadron. Oh, yeah? Walters, you write excellent reports. Williams is a heck of a flautist. The, the rookie there. You spoke Esperanto. Dan Cohn, rookie. Geez, la rivido. Rex, you're... Yeah. And I'm sorry we have to call it what it is. Your relentless killing spree is problematic. <laughs> but you have a talent, Rex. You have a gift for being scary and dangerous, and we need that now. Yeah. We have a suspect in room three. We think he pulled the jewel heist down at the jewelry museum. You let me at him, Sarge, because I know just what to do. But no eating him. Uh, what? <laughs> Why don't you just tie my tiny, useless arms behind my back while you're at it? Jeez, OP. No, Rex, Rex, Sarge is right. We all have talents. You can do this partner. Okay. Thanks. I'm going in. Oh, what's this? Who are you? I'm a carnivorous dinosaur. And all I have known since the late Cretaceous is killing. And very recently, I learned police work. <laughs> so who the heck are you? A jewelry... Uh, not taker. You mean robber? Yes, that, that. Yeah, yeah. Are you, one of, are you one of that? No. Are you sure? Are you gonna eat me? I've been told not to. Does that mean you won't? Hey, man. I'm a T-Rex. Yeah, about that. See, I've heard that we've misunderstood you guys, that you don't stand up all straight and tall. That was just something they dreamed up for the museum. The jewelry museum? No, natural history one. But if you look at that long tail, it's obviously a counterbalance, and you move parallel to the ground. That way, too, your little arms can actually reach something. So you weren't a predator, really. You were more of a, a scavenger. Whoa, whoa, no, wait, wait, is that true? That's what I heard. So maybe you're not so tough after all. In fact, what are those on your chest? What? The chest hairs, dude, I'm very masculine. Pretty sure they're... Feathers. Yep, that's what the scientists are saying about you. Why, you're nothing more than an old grandfather to a pigeon. Rex, what the hell happened in here? I'm sorry, Sarge. That dude tripped and fell in the mouth. <laughs> now, if you don't mind, I've got some scientists to arrest. Christina Baldwin as the partner, Keegan-Michael Key as Rex, B. Beeman as Brian, John Munson as the rookie, Mike Fotis as the suspect, me as Sarge. Once again, actual one-star reviews of classic works from Amazon.com, presented as dramatic readings by Keegan-Michael Key. This is Amazon Review Theater. Of mice and men. Of mice and men was a good book. I recommend it to anyone who likes a good short book. It's full of fun and adventure, but it had its ups and downs. It is not a bad book. I think that I would read it again, but not for a while. I would like to watch the movie first so I can compare if it is even close to how the book goes. I only like one character, and that's Letty. 
He is very funny at some points and sad at other points. In the book. Overall, it was a good book to read. If you like to read books. The sound of music. You know what? Our world can do better without annoying sounds. The movie was made in the 60s. We live in the 21st century. Get over it. What the heck? That's the, I know, get mad. And the first one, sounds like you like the book. He's a tough grader. One star. After yeah. all that. If you like to read books. If you like to read books. If you don't like to, read, don't books, like to read books. It's probably not going to be your thing. That's what the one star. Never mind. I never got the album. <laughs> Did I still pay for it? <laughs> for if I did, I want my album. <laughs> it would be awesome. Thank you. Keegan Michael Key, everybody. Coming up, more Amazon Review Theater and the tragic ripples of pina coladas. This is Wits. I'm John Moe. Hey, you want to come see Wits live and in person? Well, we have lots of opportunities coming up where you can do just that. If you're in St. Paul, Minnesota, on March 20th, we're taping a show with actor and writer Carrie Elways. You might remember him from a little movie called The Princess Bride. Yeah, that's him. He'll be joined that night by the fantastic singer-songwriter Kat Edmondson. And hey, for our fans in Nashville, we'll be at the Wild West Comedy Festival on April 17th. So come out and see us there. Information and tickets for all of our shows at witsradio.org. Life of the Law is a podcast looking at the law and American culture with in-depth, highly produced reporting. Life of the Law at infiniteguest.org. This is Wits. I'm John Moe, here with singer-songwriter B. Beeman and comedian and actor Keegan-Michael Key. Pop song correspondences. A Christmas letter from the couple in the Pina Colada song. 
Hi everyone, and happy holidays. What a year we have had. Jimothy betrayed me. I was thought of my lady. We'd been together too long. Like a worn-out recording of a favorite song. Oh yeah, thanks, honey. So while she lay there sleeping, I read the paper in bed. And in the personal column, there was this letter I read. Um, actually, lady, you betrayed me by placing the ad. Oh. a half-brained idiot who gets drunk in the rain and doesn't do yoga. Someone as self-destructive as me. And they had to like being intimate in a public place full of sand. If you like making love at midnight In the dunes of the cave I'm the lady you've looked for Write to me and escape See, I hate myself. And this person sounded like she hated herself, too. I didn't think about my lady. I know that sounds kind of mean. Oh, but expected. But me and oh, really? my old lady had fallen into the same old dull routine. So I wrote to the paper, took out a personal ad. Thank you. And though I'm nobody's poet, Rather than respond to her ad, I took out my own. He's quite stupid. Wanted her to know I'm a practicing alcoholic. And health food. What, to keep me alive longer? No thanks. Sounded promising. You know, I uh, was excited to have an affair, to ruin my marriage, ultimately as a way of hurting myself and my lady. Oh, God, I hate how you call me your lady. You're disgusting. We're both disgusting. <laughs> but we had hope that day. So I waited with high hopes, and then she walked in the place. I knew her smiling in instance. I knew the curve of her face It was my own lovely lady And she said, ah, it's you And we laughed for a moment And I said, I never knew Never knew I was caught in a cycle of self-destructive codependence (laughs) I'm lying, I did know that
punishment is each other. We, we belong together in the hell that is our marriage. Now we drink pina coladas all day and champagne. We have been fired from our jobs. Sometimes I think we should try some health food instead of all this booze. Just maybe give yoga a chance? We do seem to be dying. Well, we'll never escape. So, in closing... Merry Christmas. Keegan-Michael Key and Christina Baldwin as the unhappy couple. Janie Winterbauer, John Munson, and the witnesses as a collective Rupert Holmes. Support for Wits comes from baby carrots plucked from their youth, thrown into a bag so you could have your children eat these babies, you monsters. Seems like a bad ad slogan for the baby carrots people. I I I would not encourage me to buy carrots. No. We got additional support from Willow and Jaden Jeff, DJ Jazzy's kids, who are perfectly normal, not like anyone cared to ask us. Thank you very much. And from Tony Hawk, not the skateboard guy, just this Italian bird I know. Thanks for the support, Italian bird. And now the Wits Game Show. Keegan-Michael Key, you played an FBI agent on the television series Fargo, which means you are an expert on all famous crimes. In this game, working together with B. Beeman, I will give you a crime. I will describe it to you. Then you will tell me, after some deliberation, whether it's real or we just made it up. Get more right than wrong, and you win the game. Here we go. Okay. Did the following crime actually happen? On St. Patrick's Day, 1990, Boston's Gardner Museum was robbed of 13 paintings worth an estimated $300 million. The robbers were unarmed and posed as policemen in order to pull off their caper. To top it all off, the museum was uninsured. Did that happen? That's the departed, right? That, yeah. yeah. I think B might have just said it. I think it is true because at that point in time, everybody in Boston was still in such a gloomy funk about the Red Sox, <laughs> that they weren't paying attention. Someone could just to, walk away with They could just art. walk away with millions of dollars of art. And also, it sounds like The Departed. So. It did happen. All You're right. right. Okay. Son of a... In May 1855, authorities in Paris discovered gold that was being shipped from London was gone and replaced with lead. The safes were double locked and did not appear to be tampered with, yet somehow during the train trip, one and a half million dollars worth of gold vanished. The FBI has never been able to solve this case. Did this happen? In what year? 1855. 1855. Why is the FBI studying this case yes, in Paris? Uh, yeah. I mean, that is a heck of a cold case. Fake. It's a cold case, and it, it, it should be handled by Interpol. Shame on you, FBI. <laughs> um, no, here's the thing. It's not true because people stopped doing alchemy in the 1600s. <laughs> you know... Uh, It did happen, but the FBI wasn't involved, so I'm going to give you a point. Oh! I would have given you two points if you would gotten both of them right, but, you know, we do what we can. Did the following Depression-era gangster actually exist? Alvin Old Creepy Carpus (laughs) was known for his sinister smile and was a member of the famous Mob Barker gang. His friends called him Ray because he hated the nickname Old Creepy. (laughs) 
And he liked to keep people on their toes. He served the longest sentence in the history of Alcatraz. It smells fishy to me, and yeah, here's why. Because sure. when I hear creepy, co- when I hear alliteration, it's something's rotten in the state of Minnesota. <laughs> you are wrong. He did actually. You're a liar. Right. But we have no idea why his nickname was oh, Ray. That was is Ray. So that you should give us a point. Then, unsolved. If you don't know that. <laughs> All right, I'll give you another point. You're gonna Thank give you. us another point. <laughs> But you're killing it. I'm, no, I'm, I'm rushing at, it. I'm good at weaseling my way into points. I'm going to take away one of your earlier points, though. Okay. <laughs> in 1995, career criminal Neil McCauley and his crew, Chris Shaherless, Michael Sherito, and a man named simply Trejo, committed an armored car heist, stealing $1.6 million in bonds belonging to infamous money launderer Roger Van Zant. The heist remained nonviolent until one of the newer members of the gang killed a bank guard, which led to a manhunt that spread throughout the city of Los Angeles. See, here's what you're, okay. You're putting a ton of facts in there and trying to make it sound true. That's what sneaky people do. That's, he, yeah. And John Moe is the sneakiest. I am pretty sneaky. I like the, it's, here's what it is. It's, it's I'm just going to say it's false. It's false because it is the plot from the 1995 movie Heat. <laughs> Michael Mann. Yep. Uh, you are sneaky. Yeah. Because it sounded familiar, but no, at mo- no point in time did Trejo go, <laughs> At no point did Trejo get a first name. Yes, he didn't even get a first name. Is that so, Danny Trejo? Not even Danny Trejo. <laughs> it might have been Danny Trejo. In 1988, local handyman Ra- Randy Carson robbed a first federal bank in downtown Tallahassee, Florida, attempting to pay for his methamphetamine habit. A novice criminal, he made many mistakes along the way, including not wearing a mask and opening a money bag, which led to his face being covered in blue ink. When apprehended, he tried to explain to the cops that he was a Smurf. That sounds really true. I feel like I've heard this one before. Uh, I feel like I heard this on another NPR show. <laughs> it's probably on Marketplace. I think I... Th- <laughs> I'm going to go with true, right, B? Sounds true. It sounds true. Well, you know, it's not true, but something like that surely must have happened in Florida at some point, so I'm going to give you a point. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The winners of the game, Keegan-Michael Key and B. Beeman. Congratulations. Woo! Once again, one-star reviews of classic works from Amazon.com. Read as dramatic readings by Keegan Michael Key. This is Amazon Review Theater. Hop on pop. <laughs> by Theodore Geisel, aka Dr. Seuss. It was basically just a bunch of random words that rhymed. There was little to no plot at all and zero character development. In addition, they didn't actually hop on pop until about two-thirds of the way through the book. And when they did, the author never explains why it was happening or even bother with any of the implications of the character's actions. And what's with all the pictures? (laughs) 
in conclusion, this book reads as if it was intended for an infant child. One out of 10. Would not read again. Do not recommend. Green eggs and ham. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> I will give away the ending, so stop reading if you don't want the spoiler. <laughs> Synopsis. A local dealer pressures a buyer into ingesting a strange substance for free. During 80% of the book, the protagonist clearly says no, but the substance dealer continues to pressure. In the end, the protagonist is defeated, ingests the substance, and shows signs of addiction, proclaiming outrageous ways in which he'll take this new substance. There is no evidence that the antagonist will continue to provide free samples of the substance <laughs> once the main character is addicted. This is done in rhyme and marketed to children. <laughs> this is done in rhyme and marketed to children. Yeah, they're not wrong about any of those things. <laughs> You're checking your kid's phone, you see a tweet that they're gonna take some green eggs and ham. Ham. <laughs> Who are you meeting to give you that? Sorry, yeah. The guy's Sam. Sam. Yeah. yeah Sam. The art of war. The one star that I gave this book is because I was reading it from a martial arts perspective. instead of from a business perspective. It took a little bit to realize that this book is more geared towards businessmen. And looking at the other reviews, I guess it's really good for people looking to succeed in business. But if you're intent for martial arts purposes, I recommend finding a different translation. Keegan-Michael Key, everybody. The translation. Maybe the translation is the problem. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, once more, please welcome B. Beeman. Mm -hmm. And when your 
out there without a care Yes, I was out of touch But it wasn't because I didn't know enough I knew too much Does that make me cry? wits in your life go to witsradio.org and find out how you can see a wits show in person you can sign up for our newsletter get the latest about what our various wits guests are up to or tell us what you're up to on twitter just tag us we're at wits thank you to our friends keegan michael key and b beeman thanks also to our technical director Corey shreppel ali lozoff our intern carlos espinoza and the staff at the fitzgerald theater tom campbell alan freckman aaron Cosio, mike wangan and dan zimmerman wits is written by me and ben acker wendy molyneux and jeff drake and mike fotis who also acted in this week's show along with christina baldwin 
We're joined this week by our music director, John Munson, and the witnesses, Janie Winterbauer, Steve Rome, Joe Savage, and Richard Medic. Our executive producer is Peter Clowney. Our senior producers are Hans Buto and Larissa Anderson. I'm John Moe. Bye now.